0: Good morning. It is great to be here. My name is Kyle. I'm an assistant pastor here. So the words, I love you. These were some of the first words that I learned to say as a child. And even as an adult, they are words that are especially sweet. You can't tell it from my American twang, but I'm from a British family that is especially British in the respect that once children reach a certain age, they don't say I love you anymore. During my childhood, I actually have no memory of my, my parents saying I love you to me either. But to be clear, I know that they, they did and do love me. British people just don't feel the need to have this confirmed every time they see one another. It would be fairly countercultural, which is to say awkward, to say I love you per, uh, publicly, and it would be to say it privately as well. But being married to Lissy, my American wife, Uh, I say these words, I love you, a lot more than I thought I would. It's much less repressed this way. (laughs) I don't know which British people C.S. Lewis was talking about when he complained that they said I love you too flippantly. um, About trivial things like loving ice cream. And I'm not sure that I agree with C.S. Lewis either. I want to share this video, it's a silly video, but it's an infant experiencing ice cream for the first time. And it might not have audio, but if uh, you see it, the the parents are are giggling in the background. So we're trying to get the the video to work. (laughs) Not done with the ice cream yet. It's hard not to call that love. There's a visceral magnetic force going on there. It's young love at its best. I have no doubt that you've thought about love. Arguably, it's one of the most important things that humans can do and experience. We navigate the world by finding love, by losing love, by chasing love, giving love, loving through hurts, loving the right things, loving the wrong ways, learning to love and accept ourselves. We navigate a world of conditional loves. Even the love of American parents has its limits because humans just aren't capable of perfect love. In our worship, we say, I love you to God a lot. We sing our vertical habit as songs of praise and adoration. These songs are about love an outflow of love, but there's an imbalance of love that we come face to face with every time we worship. We encounter God's unconditional love, a love without exceptions without rules, without cultural awkwardness and the like. But we, and not just the culturally repressed among us, are imperfect love partners, loving with conditional, sometimes shallow and dependent love. God wants us to grow in our love so that our love is deep and mature. But doesn't this make you wonder, how do we grow in love Add this to the fact that Jesus organizes all the law and the prophets under two commandments, love of God and neighbors, and this question becomes really important. How do we love God in ways that are deep and mature? This seems to be the very lesson that Peter was learning in our passage today, learning how to love Jesus and responding to Jesus's direct question, do you love me? Here Jesus redeems the calling on Peter's life by revisiting his actions on the night Jesus was betrayed. So that's actually where we're going to start. We're going to start at the beginning of chapter 18. You can turn there if you'd like. This is where Jesus is arrested, tried, and soon to be executed. Can you picture it? So he's in the garden surrounded by soldiers, that's Roman soldiers and Jewish officials. Peter has his own vision of how the night's going to go down. He grabs a a soldier by the ear and and cuts off his ear. A convincing case can be made that by cutting off this ear, the ear of the high priest's servants, no less, uh, Peter's acting symbolically and prophetically. Bodily defilement of this sort disqualifies somebody for temple service. And so by cutting off the ear of the the high priest's slave, Peter is acting in part for the whole. He's charging the whole government making a declaration that the high priest himself is no longer qualified to lead the Jewish religion. Peter begins that night as a faithful witness, a foolish witness, but a faithful one. And he puts himself in danger in the process. It's a wonder he wasn't killed on the spot. Even after foolishly brandishing his weapon before this, this group, cutting off a man's ear, Peter isn't even arrested along with Jesus, and that's because Jesus intervenes. Jesus according to the synoptic gospels, actually restores this man's ear. And more importantly, you see Jesus in John intercede in chapter 18, verse seven. He says, you're looking for me, let everyone else go. He reasons with the mob and the mob, this unlikely group of allies, they came for Jesus and so they leave with Jesus. So what happens next illustrates an important lesson for all Christians. While Jesus is perfect in his love, Peter shows his broken love and we're not perfect love partners if love were like dancing with the stars God is the lead who knows what he's doing and we're the ones bumbling around kicking feet tripping and missing our steps Peter is bold but this night he's afraid and he's driven by fear and so Peter follows at a distance when asked if he's a follower of Jesus on three different occasions he says no we read chapter 18, verse 15 of Peter's first denial outside the door of the high priest's courtyard. To his credit, this is dangerous territory. Your friend gets arrested, and you're on the steps of the courthouse. And maybe you weren't just there, but you have blood on your hands. And literally, Peter might have blood on his hands. It might be dry blood running down his arms. Hopefully, he's abandoned his sword at this point, because that's not a normal thing to bring into the high priest's courtyard late at night. Verse 16 tells us Peter wasn't allowed to go inside the court, and a servant girl on duty, that is a colleague of the person whose ear he cut off, confronts him to ask if he's a follower of Jesus. And his self-preservation instinct kicks in, and he doesn't want to be identified with his crimes, or with Jesus. I mean, Jesus exonerated him once already, and these are the steps of the courthouse. The danger for peter becomes even more pronounced when he gets questions a second and a third time and notice in verse 26 the person who challenges him is malchus's relative malchus being the person the guy whose ear he cut off so this is a family member who is challenging him so we see the limits of peter's own faithful witness the limits of his willingness to identify with christ held up against his own actions that night one of the most important things we see Uh, about Jesus's arrest and his death is what he says in John chapter 10, verse 18. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. And we all know the verse that greater love knows none than this, than to lay one's life down for their friends. Do you know that love is what propelled Jesus to the cross? Love is what propelled Jesus that night. In his death, Jesus' perfect life and righteousness are given for Peter's life, for everyone's life, for anyone who believes in him. Jesus shows himself to be a perfect love partner. In the high priest courtroom, when before Pilate, Jesus is driven by love, self-denying love, sacrificial love, love that is costly and dangerous. And so there's the comparison, broken love and perfect love. So let's fast forward to our passage. After his death and resurrection, the first thing Jesus says to the disciples is this. He says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Our passage is the first one-on-one encounter Jesus has with Peter. That's recorded. It's the same message of peace and sending, but it's framed around a moment of covenant renewal, of covenant renewal. I often think about the last conversation I had with my grandfather before he passed away unexpectedly, in December. It was a mundane conversation. We were talking about Christmas presents. I think I was at work. It wasn't a long conversation, and we're British, so we definitely don't say we loved each other. Didn't say we loved each other. When he passed away, I felt such a lack of closure and guilt that our last conversation was so humdrum and ordinary, just businessy. Can you imagine the lack of closure that Peter must have felt? Jesus predicted uh, Peter's threefold denial, and then he does it three times, and then Jesus dies. I think the beauty of Jesus' threefold question in this passage, Do you love me?, is that it mirrors the threefold denial. There's three and three. Jesus calls Peter in this to revisit his actions on the night when he was betrayed. And why is that? Because we're made for covenantal love, a relationship with God that has to be renewed when we mess up. While Jesus is the perfect love partner, we are not perfect love partners. We show broken love to God and our covenant needs to be renewed, remembering His faithfulness to us. So that's what draws us into confession uh, because we don't stand before God with perfect love. We can't say I love you with a heart that hasn't courted other gods. But the covenant relationship with God is what we're made for, and that's why we're called to renew that covenant. The last thing I'll say is that Jesus directs those who love him to show their love through obedience. Remember the blessing and sending message of Jesus, peace be with you, So, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Well, in this, the last thing Jesus says to Peter is follow me. If you love, then obey. Uh, Which for Peter means becoming a shepherd, becoming a pastor in the early church. It's covenant renewal which should animate itself in a life of obedience. So let's consider our own lives. Let's consider what, what, what competes for your heart space. What's winning right now? How do you spend your time? Doing what and for what purpose? I read a book this week about reshaping our affections. One image that the author used that struck me was that, that of a shopping mall. More specifically, how the shopping mall symbolizes the powerful force of consumerism upon our hearts. He talked about how ads promise glimpses to the good life, how new products promise to to fill all the voids of the old ones, how even the architecture of the mall is a reassuring sense of transcendence because it's so tall, think in the food court. Um, How when you bring everything in the shopping mall together, you have a powerful story that grips our hearts and the author said that his son will jokingly ask his dad to go to the mall by requesting to go to the temple, which is a way of reassuring his dad that he knows the power of consumerism and that he's gonna keep his heart guarded while he goes there. It's a way of being in the world but not of the world, if you will. Um, This illustration points to the fact that everything around us shapes us. As humans, we need to exist in some story and with some direction. The author of this book calls worship spaces like these and stories in our culture liturgies as a way of saying that they form us they shape us into particular types of people with particular hopes whether that's the story we live by looks forward to being the all-star on the sports team showing the jocks what's up by going to college at an ivy league school creating a family buying a bigger home uh, securing a better job getting a restful retirement, creating a lasting legacy, well, that depends on the heart. And I think that when we examine our own hearts, we see that there's a lot of work to be done. We don't often love the things we think we love. In many ways, what we love is revealed by what we do, what our habits are, how we spend our time. We engage in a lot of vertical habits with false gods these vertical habits, these ways of transacting, exchanging with false gods that exchange something that our hearts really want. And Jesus is the naysayer who says, look, your heart is all over the place. Come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what do we do? Uh, In some very real ways, the, the way our church frames a worship service is around the idea of covenant renewal. We believe that God is in the business of changing lives, but the way he changes them is by his design. It's not good enough to have a happy, healthy, functional uh, life. God shapes us to be faithful followers that are sent with a message of God's peace treaty to a war-torn world that is in conflict with his love. What God does is called spiritual formation, and the image to have in your mind is that of a potter, and we are the clay. Over the course of our lives, the Holy Spirit shapes us and changes us into the image of Christ. He brings us to love things we can't naturally love and desire things we don't naturally desire. All the relational words that we've highlighted in this series characterize worship that's in tune with God's desire for the way he wants to encounter us. Help, I'm sorry, thank you, listen, what can I do, bless you, I love you. In this way, worship is God's mode of counterformation, where our loves and affections are shaped. And it's not just worship on a Sunday, but worship throughout the week. But let, let's, let's think about worship for a moment, our Sunday morning worship. We shouldn't be surprised that by incorporating confession into worship, we build a vertical habit of regularly receiving the message of Christ's peace so we can encounter God the same way Peter does in this story recognizing our failures, remembering Christ's love, being renewed in covenant and restitched into God's story and being sent. The only way to untangle ourselves from the Western stories of the American dream of consumeristic satisfaction, of human, human glory and uh, legacy's permanence is to find ourselves again and again at the heart of the gospel, encountering Christ's love for us in an undeserved place. It's impossible to encounter God's love without our own love being magnified. John says it this way, we love because he first loved us. The reshaping of our heart isn't a fast process, and it isn't even in our control. Our part is to follow God as he sends us, to return to God when we fail, which will be consistently and to return again to that story which is ours, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, that Christ is coming again. A story of meeting God in confession and brokenness, finding reassurance in the gospel and hope that shapes our witness and our vocation. So today Jesus asks us the same question. Do you love me more than these? But instead of focusing on our own failures to love perfectly, instead imagine with me being secure in God's love. Because God is the perfect love partner. His love is seen so clearly in the life of Jesus. Imagine seeing God as the father of that prodigal running to meet you with a robe and a ring. God shows initiating love, forgiving love, faithful love. God is love, perfect love. And we know that perfect love casts out all fear. When Jesus asks you this question, consider that that the heart of the asker is, is marked by perfect love. Imagine the freedom that comes from knowing in your bones that God's love is for your good. And by comparison, nothing else in the world matters as much as God's love. Imagine your response to God's love being like that baby trying ice cream for the first time. In the words of Francis Chan, God is crazy about you. And Jesus says, I love you no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run, no matter how much repression you've found yourself acculturated into, no matter how many times you kick my toes while we learn to dance, do you love me more than these? Our yes is only ever a faint echo of God's own song of yes over us. Would you pray with me? Lord, your love is. Amazing Um, and we are amazed to be in your presence. Um, I pray that we would encounter you. I pray that we would encounter your love. I pray that we would know deep within us in a secure way that you are for us. That you love us like crazy. And I pray that would shape us not just this week, but going forward. Lord, we want to renew covenant with you. And I pray this would be the moment that we do. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.